Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Season 7, Episode 2 of Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer. And joining us now... Fire in the mountain, baby, lighting in the sky. Woo! Marshall Tucker Band. One of my abs- one of my absolute favorites. Uh, I actually yeah. love Marshall Tucker, yeah. There you go. Carolinas, man, and that's where we're heading today. All through the Carolinas, over to Virginia, and then I think we might even expand a little bit. There hey we- Professor, it sure is good hearing from you, brother. Uh it's yeah, it's you know, it's been a weird been a weird couple uh couple days, hasn't it? Yes, it has, it has, it has. Um We've had this and this and that going on. We'll say that mm-hmm. on a personal level, but um, hell, the internet thing today, what it, it may fade in and out. Who knows, man? Yep. yep but we're bro- on now, and we're going to run with it. That's it, by God. Um, let's see here. Before we get started, Bobby, I'm going to say real quick: this episode is brought to you by Private Internet Access. Uh, you know. You need a VPN to keep the internet providers you use from selling your information, also to keep, uh, you know, everybody from spying on what you're doing online. You can go check out, uh, uh, private internet access by going to tinyurl.com slash blaze PIA. Go check it out and get, uh, you know, there's months of free time. It's less than three bucks a month and it's totally secure. There's no logs. I believe it's hosted out of Sweden somewhere. Anyhow, go check that out and Bobby, let's get rolling here. Yeah, all right, man. Uh, let me give a couple shout-outs if you don't care, okay? Sure thing. Um, I appeared this past Wednesday evening. It's still up on YouTube. I got to appear on the um, the Amazing Vito on his show. He's a fan of the show, show of the podcast. Uh, we had a pretty good interview, man. We just uh, talked. We talked about the uh, uh, Benoit match and um, – uh, just uh, just some good old school wrestling, and and while we still love, uh, he's a sports you know loves professional wrestling. Um, I had to hop to him every time I wanted to say the word sports, uh, uh, you know, and I told yeah. him what the gimmick was on that. So shout out to you, amazing Vito. Thanks for your time. My other one's on a more personal level. Now listen here, folks. If you live in the Huntington, Ashland, Ironton, Tri-State area up here in my neck of the woods, neck of the woods, if you will, um, a shout out goes to uh, Larry's Lawn Care. Um, man of dudes first class, uh, done some work for me, um, re- not regarding lawn care this time of year, um, but he does mowing, trimming, uh, debris cleanup, mulching, planting, and a bunch of other stuff. And, uh, man, he done a couple other things for me this week, and I can't be more appreciative. I met him through my brother, so I'm going to give a shout-out to my brother, Jim, uh, for introducing me to Larry. And, and Larry and I have become friends. He's a huge wrestling fan, man, very knowledgeable of the sport of professional wrestling. And so, uh, Larry, if you, uh, thank you very much. Uh, again, if you're in a tri-state area, I'm going to give out his number. Um, and maybe he'll come and give you an estimate, man. Um, I told him I'd do it. He said, you don't have to, but I wanted to. Uh, so again, in tri-state area, it's 606-232-0274. Serious inquiries only, please. This is a very good dude, a good gentleman, and a fan of podcasts. But if you need some lawn care, uh, especially if coming uh, spring, um, give Larry a call, man, because uh, very professional, very courteous, and does excellent uh, work. Like I said, he done a couple things for me on projects in my home, and I couldn't have been more pleased. So thank you for that. And that's my two shout-outs. Amazing Vito. Uh, well, of course, like I said, I get one of my brother. Can introduce me to Larry? And also Larry, Larry's Lawn Care. Good dude, good people out there still, Jeremy. I want to believe it, man. I uh, want to believe it. You know, that is, um, 
good to hear. And also, it's always good to hear that when something goes wrong, it's taken care of before, like, drywall rots out or anything worse happens. So, yeah, this could have been a big problem, what I was talking about, yeah. what I talked to you about off the air. Folks, it regarding my shower, but uh, Jeremy and I spoke off there, and he knows that, and I thought, oh, shit, if something's behind that wall, I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it- go on. Well, I was going to say, you know, I've been involved with plumbing to some degree or another most of my life. And, yeah, <laughs> you don't want to fuck around with a water leak. I, I can, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Bobby, before uh, we get right. into talking about Jim Crockett promotions this week, um, yeah. let's talk about we did have a death this week that uh, we need to hit real quick because, due to my ignorance, I didn't even know the man was still alive. Buddy, until I saw that tweet, I was I was certain he must have passed away years ago. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. um, and I saw the tweet, and that was um, Bobby Davis, manager of Champions, passed away. That's right. Um, I think he was living in Texas at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, um, yes, that's what I saw. Was okay. he was living in Texas? Okay. Uh, manager of Champions. If you got a couple of champions there, I think I've got a couple other ones. They manage. Who you want to shout out to? Well, man? I got to go with Nature Boy Buddy Rogers and Don yeah. Fargo. I mean, you can't. There you go. Yeah, you can't get around those guys. And he managed Dr. Jerry Graham and Eddie Graham and Magnificent Maurice. So uh, yeah, man, and a lot of managers. Um, if you listen to any of the same podcast that Jeremy and myself listen to, I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, Bobby Heenan got the idea, you know, might not be a Bobby Heenan. And if it wasn't for a Bobby Heenan, it might not have been a Jim Cornette. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, man, that just says wonders about, um, this Bobby Davis. Cause we put him over way back when we was doing the Sheik's territory, if you remember, and Buddy Rogers, uh, uh, showing up in that area. Yeah. Um, uh, well, whenever he came to town, had had uh, and also Gary Hart. I meant to say we so we brought him up at least two or three times just in this last year. Oh yeah, well, last yeah. year. Uh, well, I was going to say, and also, unless I'm mistaken, which I could be, but I believe that that Bobby Heenan literally got the name Bobby from Bobby yes. Davis. Um, because Bobby Heenan, I believe his real name was Ray, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they said Raymond. Actually, they didn't oh. say Ray. They said Raymond. Oh, he must be so, a northerner so. then. <laughs> well, I popped. I think he's from Indiana, isn't he? Or yeah, Illinois. yeah. Anyway, yeah. nonetheless, when I heard that, I popped because I thought we've had this discussion back and forth, and I don't honestly know if it was Jim. I think it was Jimmy uh, on, or Brian. One, but I'm pretty sure Jimmy said uh, it was Raymond. So I don't think he said Ray. So, <laughs> and I sent you the New Year babies. You did. Uh, from uh, two local hospitals that, that I happen, just happened to see on a local news. <laughs> and uh, one of them was like a Billy Ray, and the other one was like a David Ray. Uh, yep. I only got There's like seven or eight hospitals in this area, but but I only saw those two in the news for New Year babies. Yep. And I sent that to you. You said, the people just can't help themselves, Bobby. <laughs> you know, you know what the... One of them spelled it R-E-Y, the other one spelled it R-A-Y. So yeah. I, there's a difference, too. If you're Raymond, you know, I mean, come, I don't know. Well, <laughs> what I was thinking, the one that wins, if we ever come across it, when a baby is born in the South and they name him Beauregard Ray, then we have the winner. <laughs> then we okay. have the winner. Uh, real oh, quick, good. before we stop on Bobby Davis, I came across this, and this I found really interesting. Bobby okay. Davis owns several Wendy's franchises with country music legend Merle Haggard. Now, yeah, I saw that. Tell me about it. Now, uh, well, I was going to say Merle Haggard. I know his like most famous song is like being an Okie from Muskogee, but Merle Haggard yeah. actually grew up in Bakersfield, which is yeah. a couple a couple towns south or a couple major cities south of here in Modesto. Yeah. 
So Merle Haggard was a bit of a hellraiser when he was a kid, and he constantly ran away from home. And he would come up here to Modesto to pick fruit to get money for doing whatever okay. the fuck he was going to go do. Uh, now, back in this time, when he was doing this, the Okies had just settled in California, in the central part of California. That's how my family got here. And we usually took jobs as fruit pickers here. So we were the Mexicans that were, that were the <laughs> shitty labor back in the day before, like, a lot of Mexicans started coming up here yeah. for those jobs. Um so I always find it interesting when Merle Haggard comes up in any story because we have just a local connection because, you know, again, we're both displaced yeah. Okies due to the the Dust Bowl and right. uh, also just the fact that he'd run away from home and come up here. I always found well, it I met Merle Haggard a couple times. Yeah? And, oh, yeah, yeah, sure did. I'm a huge fan. Um, I know he was doing a, um, you know, he, he done some time out there yeah. in California. He'd done a little bit of time. And uh, he was doing a concert. Uh, uh, he was a guest at one of the, early on when uh, Reagan's presidency. Uh, Merle Haggard was singing, getting to sing, and he, he, he looked, uh, uh, pardon me, Mr. President, again. Like that, you know. It was pretty funny because I guess uh, Reagan had pardoned him as the governor of California. So we've done some shows at the Wild Dog Saloon. Well, way back in 83, first of all, I got to go see him uh, up in uh, Johnson County at, like, the Starlight Lounge or something. And I was just a young, you know, 20-year-old Mark or whatever. Which I'm still a Mark. Whatever. But, no, when we were doing the um, uh, championship wrestling here uh, in conjunction with the Smoky Mountain Wrestling, I did one show at the Wild Dog Saloon up in um, – done a couple of them. And got to meet Dave Down Cole as well. That was the other one. But the guy that ran the uh, Wild Dog, um, it had been several different names through the years. And uh, so uh, we were going to do our wrestling show like the following week. So we had to follow Merle Haggard. And um, uh, the, the dude gave me some tickets to the show and also backstage access. And, of course, he didn't want to meet some long, blonde-haired wrestling guy. But uh, he's smart to the business, of course. And I'm sure he's up there just – he was doing his own thing, basically. So it's a handshake yeah. and – entertainment and he had had some uh, well I'll take a Dave Down Cole had actually done some stuff with the wrestler so he was a little bit more like oh okay you know he's caught it you know yeah yeah to get the gimmick but Merle was laid back and knew he had a fan and my seat was right above uh, in the balcony it's not a very big building right above where he was at on the stage right on his edge of the stage on that side it was really really pretty cool man um but yeah I would like to hang out with him or whatever but I can't brag about that it's just one of those that actually got to meet him and shake the man's hand though you know uh, what's that song? Don't get in a, you got on a fight inside of me. Uh, I don't want to get on a fight inside of Merle Haggard, you know? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> or man. David Allen Coe for that matter. Well, you know, David Allen Coe kind of cracks me up. Well, I do find him to be a good songwriter. Um, he, yeah. well, here's the thing, Bobby, you know, you know why he was wise to wrestling and why it was easy for him to fit in? Cause he's full of shit is why. Well, that's he's, true. Yeah. Absolutely. If you're heard of Howard Stern interviews, oh my God, he talks about everything and you're like, really buddy? Mm -hmm. Like the guy does, you yeah. know, he, he's got a whole song about how Johnny Cash got him out of prison. Well, David Allen yeah. Coe has never been to prison. Um, yeah. you know, he does what he can to get himself like mentioned with Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. And look, I, again, I think he's a good songwriter and he's a decent singer, yeah. but he's just full of shit, you know, which is fine. Well, he even has a song, uh, you don't have to call me Merle Haggard again. I mean, yep. he's getting them all in there. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that's actually yes, a great, that's yeah, a great song too. Dan Wendy's, uh, franchise with Bobby Davis. Rest in peace, Bobby Davis, man, manager of champions 
and um, uh, sound like you've done quite well with his money, man. Yep, and purveyor uh, of yeah. square burgers. <laughs> I like their chili, man. I, uh, they changed their damn pickles and buns and this and that through the years, and I don't know, but the chili seems like they haven't changed it, so don't fuck up the chilies, Wendy. I still like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think um, Wendy's must be bigger in the South than it is out here. I mean, we've got them. It's just like nobody ever says, hey, yeah. you want to go to Wendy's for lunch, you know? Well, it's, uh, the right out of Columbus, Ohio, the original one is. Oh, that would make sense then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're you know, right up 23 and then right off 75. And, you know, that's why, um, yeah, during Columbus was the main headquarters. Uh, their first store, I think, is right there by the coast side, the um, – the uh, Ohio uh, Science Center and all that. So, yeah, right. On. We've got. We used to have two. We've got. We've got one right in town, but we've got uh, one on each edge of coming into town. Whether you come through the uh, either county on either side of us in three different directions, so it's one of the first restaurants you hit. Also, right there with uh, Mickey D's and and those the Arby's and you know we've got the Wendy's right there. So, pretty popular. Pretty popular. Yeah. All right. Well, we've probably talked about um, everything else. Yeah, long <laughs> enough here. Um, let's go on. So, you know, uh, we are going to be talking about Jim Crockett promotions. I'm afraid we are going to miss some things because, again, like I was saying before we started recording, this is going to be like drinking from a fire hose. There's a lot of info yeah, we're going to hit what we can, you know, guys, as usual, feel free to tweet at us or, you know, whatever, and let us know what we missed. And we'll try to hit the corrections when we get around to it. So. And I hope they do. Listen, you can get Jeremy at the Geekish Cast on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You can get me at Bobby Blaze 744 on Twitter. And also you can get the uh, Bell to Bell Blaze on Twitter. And we've had people write us and let us know, hey, this, you know, this and that. And let us in a certain direction sometimes uh, on some little things. So we appreciate that when you do it. I know I do. And Jeremy being the fucking professor, man, uh, the soaker of knowledge and then, then spewing it back out to everyone. I'm sure he appreciates it too. Cause we're always learning, man. Oh, absolutely. So if we miss something, it's not on purpose. Um, it's because we're going to try to have fun with this podcast and it should be a good one, man. Cause I think a lot of our fans, uh, are big fans of the uh, mid Atlantic and, and, uh, Jim Crockett promotions territory days. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'd say probably I, I would be willing to bet that, uh, we're kind of an even mix between the two biggest being, uh, Mid-South and Mid-Atlantic, or G- JCP at least. I would agree with you. Yeah. I would agree with you. That's who I'd go with, yeah. yeah. So, like, so. Jim Jim Crockett promotion started off, he promoted everything, wrestling, concerts, baseball. I mean, they were they were just a general promotion company. Um, they were founded in 1931 by, strangely enough, Jim Crockett Sr. Um, yep. Let's see. So, uh, going into the 1930s, Jim Londis was a world champion, and of course there was problems booking and this, that, and the other. So that was part of the fracturing of wrestling that would eventually require the NWA to be created, and of course Jim Crockett Promotions would eventually go on to become the absolute cornerstone of the National Wrestling Alliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout their time, they went through many names, Mid-Atlantic, East Coast, All-Star, Worldwide, and Wide World of Wrestling. Um, and uh, in the early 1970s, Jim Sr. passed away, and Jim Jr. and David Crockett took over, with Jim Jr. being basically the primary officer of the company. 
Now, that kind of gets us through the, the basic history of Jim Crockett Promotions. Bobby, did I miss anything there? No, I was just um, – uh, some of the information that was interesting to me is that um, they said on all the uh, tickets and posters and stuff, no matter what banner it was, you was probably buying a Jim Crockett promotion. Whether And I felt what I, what I thought was funny was they had the worldwide wrestling and then wild world wrestling. Yeah. I can understand either. East Coast and and uh, East Coast and All Star and those things, um, but that was just funny to me. Like they had to, they was using those W's in there, you know, the worldwide and this and that. But also like uh, they promoted hockey and like you said, baseball and some of those things. So more than likely, somewhere in the South, if you was in the Carolinas or Virginia and you went to a concert or a ball game or wrestling, it was probably a Jim Crocker promotion, even though it might have had a, a a different name on it. I found that interesting because I didn't know that. Yeah, especially those names. Um, I, I did see that. Yeah. Cause I mean, it looked like they did. I mean, they just did everything. Yeah. And I'm sure once you have that, I think imp- they did gospel shows, I think. Oh, know, I would imagine. Yeah. I would imagine that part of the world, when you say concerts, you would have to figure gospels probably half yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, well, I have to imagine once you got a big walk, say like you get to start in the 1930s and you have the infrastructure in place to promote large shows. I imagine you kind of do everything. I mean, that you basically, you're the de facto for any promotion that happens in the area because you're going to have the union contacts. You're, you know, the, you're going to know where to pull the paperwork and the permits and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And you know, most of the building personnel too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that puts you right in place. Uh, you know, who the building managers are, et cetera. Yeah. So, So, um, uh, I'm going to ask you this question, this national expansion, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are you there? I'm here. Okay. Are we ready to jump down there? after the NWA name? Um, you know, I just wanted to bring up, you know, and this is yeah, going to come sorry. up Go again. Ahead, oh, that's, consolidation. I yeah. jumped ahead of you there. My, I had, I had actually moved my cursor. I apologize. Oh no, no, that's, that's, that's <clears throat> perfectly fine. Um, going into the seventies and eighties, there was a lot of consolidation there in the Southeast where, uh, JCP ate up, consolidated, bought into, or helped with booking or other parts of other NWA members, to the point where they eventually began just calling their shows NWA shows, even though the NWA was still technically a separate body. And in the early 1980s, Jim Crockett Jr. actually made it to become president of the NWA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think he was 80 and again in 85, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think, I think that is correct. So... Uh, and I think the NWA uh, didn't mind that they said, from what I understood, you know, that because it was promoting it so heavily, they just like, you know, even though it wasn't a per se NWA show, the NWA definitely approved it. I mean, they knew about it and they kind of liked they were still using, you know, put it over as an NWA show. Well, the NWA was significantly weakened going into the 19, well, in the 1980s yeah. because they had member promotions closing. And Bobby, as we've done these histories in 1980, 81, 82, it seems like every middling-sized wrestling company folded. Yeah, you, you called out 1982 specifically on one of them we was doing, and I think you was right. Yeah, I couldn't remember there which was like one. four it, different ones, I think. Yeah, I couldn't remember which year it was. I think but in the, 82, you called out four ones. Yeah, I couldn't remember specifically, but I remember there was that, that period of time where it was just like Amarillo and, you know, just boom, boom, boom. All these guys start closing up. You know, it's the same year as uh, Roy Shire closed up here, you know. Um, If you're at home listening, listen, I apologize. I've talked over Jeremy a couple times. I think there's a delay, Jeremy. I'm not trying to do it intentionally. I was trying to wait. 
so if it sounded like that, it, it's done it a couple of times. You're you're a little bit ahead of me, I think, uh, or behind me. I can't tell what the delay is. But anyway, if you hear it at home, I'm not intentionally trying to step on your feet. I, I'm just barely uh, – it, it, it faded out a couple of times. I don't know why. Gotcha. And I well, thought you were done speaking. I'm sorry. That's good. Look, we're we're almost three thousand miles apart, and you know, you guys have <laughs> you guys have goofy internet out where you're at, so you know it's we do. Happen. Yeah. And uh, Larry and I even spoke about that this morning because he's had the same service, and um, uh, w- since Wednesday we have been in and out out here. That's no lie. And as today, we're recording an hour later than what we normally do due to the fact that. Uh, uh, my internet was not working. It was on for about an hour this morning, and then it just uh, took off and uh, went its own way for a couple hours. So I don't know. So if there's a delay, that's uh, that's on my end. <clears throat> yeah. So, but well, we'll get by. We've we've put up with worse. We've yeah, put we're up not with... on phones. Yeah. <laughs> we're not on can and wire or can and rope <laughs> string. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. So national expansion. You've mentioned this before. Um, I'll let you read the statement, and my question is going to be why. Okay. Um, and you haven't went into detail on this. You have, I know, on two separate occasions you have mentioned this, and we didn't go into detail, but I, but I know you said it, and I'm like, hmm. And I don't know if it's because of the program we were doing, or it's because I didn't think quick enough to ask you, or you just didn't feel like expanding upon it. So, uh, what it, what what is. What is your thought here? All right. So as far as the national expansion goes, um, I have always blamed Jim Crockett Jr. for the collapse of pro wrestling as much as I have Vince McMahon because nothing happens in a vacuum. Um, you know, you have Jim Jr. Now, the reason we haven't really expanded on this is I haven't really thought it out to the point where I can really, okay. really describe it. But, but here, here is my basic idea is that while Vince McMahon was, was closing up shops all over the North and the West and the East, Jim Crockett Jr. was doing the same thing in the South, in the Southeast and heading over into Texas and the Mid South and the Midwest. Um, you know, buying up stuff in areas where they didn't traditionally have an audience, you know, uh, west of the Mississippi was not a strong NWA territory. Uh, they started overlooking their own audiences in Georgia, the Carolinas and Virginia to do shows in Chicago, New York, San Francisco, um, you know, all sorts of places where they didn't typically do things. And, you know, they're just as guilty as anybody about driving up the cost of wrestling and what wrestlers were getting and changing the way pay structure worked and getting rid of small towns, you know, getting rid of small promotions where somebody can go disappear for a while and work out something new, you know? So yeah, Yeah. I, I blame them just as much as I do McMahon. Now McMahon. I get that. And I respect that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Now McMahon being the last man standing, he gets shit on the most, but you know, it didn't happen. It didn't happen in a vacuum. Okay, and I understand that part about kind of uh, uh, from from the research and reading I've done or, or, or watching too. The uh, they kind of deserted some of their fans down south, doing a couple of at least a couple of big pay per views out of the market. You know, instead of going to and I'm gonna mention some of the towns later on, mm-hmm. but instead of doing something in Charlotte or Greensboro or or at least in their market, they went to like out uh, upper state New York on one of them. And I think the other one was out in Chicago, and I and it, they both drew like 
you know, less than 6,000 people live. And it was like, at that point, that was like a house show for the WWF back then. But, um, but they, but they, they basically turned her back on the fans of, you know, the Carolinas and, and probably Atlanta, uh, you know, Georgia, the, the, um, uh, uh, Virginia, probably the whole Southeast United States really that they had covered by that point. Uh, at least do it in one of those markets instead of going completely out of it. Mm-hmm. They left at mid Atlantic and mid, basically mid Atlantic and, and, and the South on that end. Oh yeah. yeah. I get that. I get that. Well, and look, as soon as, um, you know, as soon as they absorbed the UWF, they moved their offices to Texas, which is going to bring us to our other point. Yeah. Wrestling company. Can I read this? Yes. Can I read this. I love this. The graveyard of empires. You got Texas. When you put the graveyard of empires on something, I just, I'm intrigued, man. That just, and you put Texas on here, and and you had to refresh my memory prior to going on air about that. But that, that's so well worded. I, I respect your wording on that as a writer. So yeah. anyway, go ahead. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't turn many good phrases these days, but when I do find one, I stick with it. Yeah, that's um, a good one. Yeah. So, you know, that's what um, Afghanistan has always been called the graveyard of empires because, like, every large world conqueror has always gotten sunk there. You know, every time they send troops, that's like that's the end. Um, but we look at wrestling in Texas. Paul Bosch, I mm-hmm. believe, closed up shop in 1982, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, yeah, Southwestern, yep. I believe, closed up in 85. Uh uh, the, uh, the, the Funks, I believe, closed in 82. They're, what, they were out of Amarillo, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, world class, of course. I mean, that's kind of its own thing, what happened to the Von Ericks. But mm-hmm. again, they were the premier wrestling company coming out of Dallas. And they didn't go out with a bang, man. They just kind of went out with a whimper, you know, just kind of yeah. trailed out yeah. completely. So as soon as, you know, um, Jim Crockett absorbs uh, Cowboy Bill Watts UWF, they decide, well, fuck it, we're moving our offices to Dallas, and we're going to go be like J.R. Ewing and put our feet up on the table <laughs> and light our cigars with $100 bills and, you know. And then they start rubber stamping everything Dusty wants. And I, I have to assume he's not the only guy. He just gets the blame because he was running the place, you know. And then one day they look around and go, fuck, we're broke. We don't have any money. Yeah. Yeah, we got two jets, but we can't put fucking fuel in them. So this (laughs) is going to get us to talk a little bit about a television station called WTBS. Now, WTBS was an early experiment in something called Superstations, of which I think there's only been a handful that have really come out. Uh, WGN up in Chicago was one, WTBS right. down in Atlanta was one, and I believe Channel 40 here in Sacramento was going to try it, but they never did anything with it. But basically, they took a local channel and got uh, uh, satellite, cable, and um, you know uh, local circuit carriers to pick it up and mm-hmm. air it. So originally, when uh, Ted Turner... Baseball star, and then eventually, for a hillbilly, this guy has done some really entrepreneurial shit. You know, he sounds like an idiot when he speaks, but he has been a a media mogul for 50 years now. You know, he's yeah. known, he yeah. started off owning a couple of TV stations, then in the 70s when he heard about what the home box office was, he's like, I got an idea. So he shops this around, he, he gets this done, and he becomes a superstation. Now... Ted Turner, back in the 70s, knew that he needed cheap, reliable entertainment. And for him, one of his big go-tos was pro wrestling. 
And at yep. the time, it was a company called Georgia Championship Wrestling. Um, there were rumors that Jim Barnett was going to try to take Georgia Championship Wrestling national. Now, there were also rumors that Jim Barnett liked money. <laughs> so, so Vince McMahon trying to get into um, more markets buys Georgia Championship Wrestling in 1984. Is that right? Yeah, 1984. So one Saturday morning, a whole bunch of people watching TBS go to turn on their Gordon Soley wrestling, and there's Vince McMahon telling them, "Hey, I just bought your you bought your shitty wrestling show, and you'll still see your guys, and you're going to see and our I, guys." I was a witness to that. I was at uh, Bria College actually when that took place. I had uh, didn't stay very long. I finished my my associate's degree and transferred to a four year university, and was down in the student lounge, man, and turned it on as like. What the fuck is this? I mean, I'd been watching like Tuesday Night Titans at that point, and you know, on USA, and mm-hmm. and uh, man, it was just like something. This what the fuck, you know? Uh, let me back up a second. Sure. We'll go to more detail on that too. Um, on another podcast, um, and I was in contact with this person several years back. Um, I'm not sure the whole story, and I, you know, I'm no longer on Facebook, and, and that's where the, the, the correspondence took place. But um, West Virginia had these boxes, and they were one of the first to get this uh, superstation. It was something tied into uh, TBS uh, coming up to West Virginia before we got it down, like down here in Kentucky and stuff, across the river, so to say. Yeah. Um, there was some kind of thing that happened that opened up not just Ohio and Kentucky and West Virginia, but there were these boxes, like the HBO box or something. And I, I can't, you know, give you the fact verbatim or whatever, but but anyway, a lot of people in between, like they was they were splitting their cable, so to say. Up this holler, Jeremy, come up this holler. They was running their own cable and shit, and they were getting it. It was a big big thing early on. We uh, before the big expansion, just kind of I just uh, if anyone out there knows better, uh, or if you're a fan of this podcast, I, there was a guy off the I want to say he was off the six oh five, but I could be wrong. Um, I, the guy was very, very well educated. He sent me some, you know, uh, some information. Like I said, it was under another account, and I've lost it since. But there was some stuff going on with those boxes up in West Virginia as to um, being early on uh, pioneers, if you will, of early cable up there because of these boxes and the way they ran the uh, the way they were splitting the cables up there. Oh, uh, but yeah. also, like I said, this um, uh, Black Saturday, yeah, I was in a dorm and, uh, you know, just went down to turn on the TV and, you know, expected to see my Gordon Soley or, you know, Georgia Championship Wrestling. And there's, you know, I think uh, Roddy Pipe was out there being interviewed by someone, you know, McMahon or someone, you know, and like, what the fuck is this? So... Well, yeah. Anyway, enough people raised hell about it. I know that. Well, because what happened was that when he when he bought it, it was with the understanding that he was still going to feature Georgia Championship Wrestling. Mm-hmm. He was going to have to create new. And I, I hate using this term, new content, using the guys that they were used to and the places they were used to. Yeah. And about three weeks in, that just stopped happening. Because yeah, he started throwing the what. Uh, he started putting footage from other arenas, right? Yeah. He, putting he, together footage from uh, maybe a house show in New York or, or wherever, Texas or whatever. He was just putting together footage, correct? Yep, that was it. And okay. so what happens is now <clears throat> Ted Turner's like, fuck you guys. 
we're going to get local wrestling back on here. But, you know, so now Georgia Championship Wrestling isn't a thing. You know, I believe Ole started another company called Championship Wrestling from Georgia. Yes, I think you're correct. And they've uh, got the next hour, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I believe they've got you, to come back on the following hour. Yeah, I think you're correct there. But so uh, Ted Turner tells them that they're going to need to do something else. And so what happens is a bidding war starts up where Bill Watts and everybody, they're trying to figure out how to get this spot on TBS. Again, TBS is available all over the country. And this is like one of a small handful of channels that does this. So you got Bill Watts, everybody else is going for it, going for it, going for it. Well, eventually it goes to Jim Crockett who pays Vince McMahon $1 million for the time slot, which McMahon then used to fund WrestleMania. So, um, you know, in, in this purchase, which allowed Jim Crockett to blow up it also planted the seeds for its own destruction. Right. Um, which is the irony of all ironies. And I also love the fact that here we are talking about pro wrestling and we've come up with these awesome terms like Black Saturday and the Graveyard of Empires. <laughs> Just such a dr- dramatic sounding shit for, you know, pro wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of the, let's do this on the tie. We're kind of just tie all this together. Like you said, it's going to be like drinking from a fountain today. Um, I'm going to list, uh, some of the, from the Jim Crockett promotions. I'm going to list some of the announcers since we mentioned that we were actually wanting to see our Gordon Soley, uh, or whomever on a Saturday and we got to see Vince interviewing, you know, Roddy Piper or something. But here's some old school, uh, through some of the newer ones that, when I say newer, hell, they're, 30 years ago, you know, whatever it is. But uh, some of the announcers they had on the um, the, the original Jim Crockett promotions, I'm going to give you some towns, too. How's that? They used to shoot the TV. Uh, they can, they got it down to Wednesdays in Raleigh. Is when uh, Raleigh in North Carolina is when they shot the TVs pretty much all day for the TV tapings. Um, they had uh, Charlie Harville, Big Bill Ward, uh, Dr. Tom Miller, Rich Landrum, um, and, uh, of course, David Crockett. Uh, they were some of the announcers. Les Thatcher, uh, eventually, of course, good old JR came on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Schiavone came on. Um, he came in uh, early around 80, I don't know, 82 maybe, something like 81, 82. Uh, in time, I know he came in time for the, uh, uh, and, and Bob Cottle. There you go. So I'm, I was trying to stumble my own words there when I'm trying to read here yeah. when he came in. Um, some of the towns, of course, of the original towns that uh, Jim Crocker promotion. And went to was, uh, of course, mainly Charlotte. Charlotte, North Carolina is kind of the headquarters there, um, where the office were at. Greensboro, North Carolina had the biggest Coliseum, and that was a sellout. Um, kind of like the, I guess, like the Mid South Coliseum in Memphis. I mean, it must have been sold out every week, you know, if they went there. Uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, Shelby, North Carolina. I mentioned Raleigh, Lexington, North Carolina. They went to the Virginia, uh, over there. They went to Norfolk and Richmond. Um, and they went to uh, Charlotteville, Virginia as well. They eventually got up into uh, Cincinnati and um, Toledo, Ohio. Uh, I mentioned Columbus earlier. And one of the two towns I want to mention, they come to Huntington, West Virginia some, but they also, um, the, the capital there, they came to Charleston, West Virginia. And I'm throwing that one out there because I didn't skip. Uh, they went to several South Carolina towns. Um, uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina is like 26 miles outside of Charlotte. So it's a small town, but they could still draw good there. But, um, 
Charleston, South Carolina, the reason I bring that one up is I hear people bitching about it. I never did it. Uh, it was a, the loop when you had to do back-to-back uh, -back shows in Charleston, South Carolina, and Charleston, West Virginia. It was the Charleston to Charleston loop, and that was like 470, 475-mile loop. Um, that was one of the longer trips, and, of course, that takes you in the car about you know seven, seven and a half hours or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to kind of touch base on some of those uh, announcers because what they did, they still were doing a sport branded you know like this is a sport still they still treated it like a sport uh, especially early on of course as we got further and further away of course you know from that through the years but back in the original tvs they treated it like a like it was a sport like any other sport which it should be you know and then of course i wanted to give you those um towns that the, uh, the original towns and like i said they expanded and i know at one time they would do you know, I think it would start off in um, Saginaw, Flint, Michigan. Then you go down through Columbus, Ohio. Then you traveled over to, um, like I said, Charleston, uh, West Virginia, and finished up either down at Charleston, South Carolina, or Atlanta. Uh, but it was like the last day of that loop, or maybe if you're lucky, back home in Charlotte, from my understanding. So uh, um, th that just kind of shows how you go from – uh, and that's not counting when they eventually, what we was talking about earlier, when they blew up and was, well, we'll go to New York or we'll go to San Francisco or we'll go to here or whatever. I'm talking about just when they were still just that, you know, small regional, the mid-Atlantic region, per se, for Jim Crock promotions, you know. But due to cable, they did get to expand up into Ohio and West Virginia, um, as I said. But it's mostly the Carolinas and, and, and Virginia originally. Yeah. So. And, you know, and then what's interesting about that is when they get this TBS slot, they, I always thought of them as a, you know, a company in Georgia, the Omni. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And well, so that's where they had their big shows at, right? Yeah. That was the, that was one of the main, the marquee was, was the Omni. Um, uh, they didn't talk about doing, uh, Independence Hall or the, uh, you know, uh, Greensboro too much on the actual, uh, TBS station, like you said, the big show. Now, not saying they didn't have, they didn't have big shows at those places, but the big build-up show was at the Omni. You're right. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just that thing, like, it, it's like what I'm watching with, like, you know, Star Wars these days. It's kind of like, well, we got to get the kids in. We got to get the new people, this audience we don't have. Because everybody we've got is going to stick with us no matter what. And fuck those guys. We already got their money. You know, mm. that's that's just kind of what I see when you go like, oh, yeah, you know, we've got the Carolinas and Virginia. And, you know, this is our bread and butter. Oh, Georgia, you say. Oh, let me go talk to her for a minute. You know, but <laughs> speaking of big shows, let's talk about yeah. Starcade 1983. Yes. What a big show, man. Um, that was the uh, brainchild of Dusty, of course. I guess he gets credit for it more than anyone. Mm -hmm. um, man, we just was – the flair for the gold, of course, with the name of it, took place over in Greensboro. Thinking of eight matches, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, that was just going off my memory because we have talked about a couple of these matches before. And then prior to the show, I said when, – when, when that was a highlight, and Jeremy's like, well, hold on. And cause I said that, that was a hell of a show. And then Jeremy was like the professor putting it together. He, he pulled up all the damn matches, man. And it was a stack card. So yeah. Let's go into some of those matches. Cause we've talked about two of these probably more than anything as far as, um, uh, through the years on, on our podcast, uh, and, it's, and over there on YouTube, there, there is a, um, we do talk about, I think, uh, the dog collar match and a flare for the gold, if I'm not mistaken. But you can go to our YouTube channel that's under uh, tinyurl.com slash bbbbvideo or just go look up Bobby Bla uh, what is it, Bell to Bell Bobby Blaze on that text that put on there. 
Um, and I think we do some more, if we don't do it today, more in detail about the dog collar match. Uh, if, if nothing else, we've done that one for sure because we've done one on uh, while we loved Piper and we put it over in that one. So talk about some of these matches that took place, Jeremy. All right. So the first match of the night would be the Assassins with Paul Jones versus Rufus R. Jones and Bugsy McGraw. Uh, timed out at 8 minutes, 11 seconds. Kind of getting the crowd going, folks. Yep. And then we go on to match two, and um, Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin. And, guys, it's hard. Well, with Gary Hart. And it's hard. Yeah, I was going to say, with Gary Hart. Yeah, it's hard to express how much talent would be just in those three men. You know, and but then on the other yeah. side, you've got Scott McGee and Johnny Weaver as well. So, I mean, you got a good, strong tag team match here. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure between Sullivan, Lewin, and Gary Hart, you got the crowd getting ready to throw shit the whole time, too. And that ran oh, for kill yeah, yeah, six minutes, 43 seconds. And see, that's why wrestling isn't as good today as it was back then. Because there was somebody in the audience with a fucking letter opener who was just waiting for Gary Hart to walk by him. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know the thing I liked about this too when we went back, this is if if you hadn't pulled up these names, I would have kind of forgotten it. And and this is one of the reasons we still do our program like we do. Um uh, that was on the tail end of Johnny Weaver's career and I'm so glad he got to participate in such a big event. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um uh, Lewin and, and, and Sullivan and, and uh Hart continued continued to you know, this is eighty three, but Weaver didn't, you know, do a whole lot more after that. No disrespect to him, I'm just saying he got to participate this big, you know, pay-per-view, uh, 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 closed circuit, uh, TV yeah. match, you know, good for him. Well, and you uh, know, against these fucking killer heels. Yeah. And maybe, maybe before we go any further, we should address that. This was the first big super show that was available everywhere. This yeah, was, and it. you mentioned, you mentioned the million dollars going to WrestleMania, which still would have been a couple years away. Cause that, the stuff we was talking about earlier, on that uh, TV stuff was 82 and 83, yep. and then here comes Starcade of 83, so it wasn't really until 85 when, when the original uh, WrestleMania took place. So this this is a couple years ahead of everything, man. It's closed circuit, and it's fucking huge. Yep, so you so could go to this, a movie theater, a bar, wherever you could get in yeah. to watch these matches. And uh, this was it, and of course, Dusty was a big thinker. This is the shit that Dusty did well. Um, yeah. And I always kind of wondered if maybe they pulled him back and said, Dusty, you come up with a big picture. I'm going to have, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry right to finish, though. Yeah. You know? Well, you know what? Last week we did JJ to introduce our territory. This makes you wonder right there where JJ's there writing everything down in the mm-hmm. back, you know? Yeah. Um, or writing stuff down. It's one of those things where, like, uh, like you said, they're going, Dusty, you got these great ideas. And then they go, now what here what can we do you know what can we do yeah uh with these finishes and this that let us do this you know uh with a guy like jj taking notes and some of these other great minds on this show um you know uh, gary hart and sullivan they could book their own shit by that point you know what i'm saying yeah yeah uh, and, and so could this next match that you want to be bringing up well uh, i'm surprised at the time when this next one to be honest with you but i know you popped for it earlier and i forgot it took place on there even though the other day i was watching a video 
I don't even know what day it was. It had to be earlier in the week, Monday or Tuesday. Like I said, the Internet's been fucked around here. Um, I saw spots off of this, just uh, still shots rather, not spots. And I was like, huh, I forgot that match was even on there. But anyway. Who well, was? yeah, so I'd forgotten it too. Well, it's been a while since I've seen Starcade, so let me let yeah. me preface it with that. But it's uh, Abdul the Butcher versus Carlos Colon in, in a match <laughs> that ran for four minutes and 30 seconds. Bobby, I'm thinking this didn't have a clean finish. I'm thinking they came out from each locker room, headed towards the ring, but met. It's kind of one of them stories I tell you about uh, Abby and Cactus Jack. They head towards the ring, but veered off somewhere. You know, yeah. I imagine that prior to getting to the ring, they veered off somewhere and fought to the ring and probably rolled through the ropes, out of the ring, and that was that. You know, uh, for four and a half minutes, I think it's probably just a bloodbath. And don't know if it was much of a fight uh, in the ring as it was so much a uh, fucking brawl outside the ring for four yeah. and a half minutes. I'm thinking this is a, spe- a spectacle. That's that's what yeah. you got here. Because, I mean, yeah, look, absolutely. you know, we don't talk about it a lot because I fucking kind of hate Carlos Colon for the whole Bruiser Brody thing. But Sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, but Carlos Colon, I mean, you put his forehead next to Abdullah Butcher's, you still look like you have a roadmap of Afghanistan. Um they both <laughs> they both were known for some dirty 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 shit you know and yeah. um i would have i don't remember i don't remember this match at all but i have to imagine this thing was just 4 minutes and 30 seconds of forks to the head and biting yeah. and gouging and shit bells ringing referees trying to separate and throwing it right out as soon as it started basically probably yeah. and um, okay so let me ask you this cuz you've booked shows and stuff before that match there uh-huh. If we're assuming it went like it did, what what are you trying to do to the audience that you go tag team match with the Assassins and uh, Jones and McGraw, tag team uh, match Sullivan, Lewin, McGee, Weaver, and then you go Abby and Cologne. What where are you trying to take the audience with that? I think it's a gimmick match, and I think you're trying to just keep them keep them wild. I think you got a great opener up here because of the participants. You you know the Assassins are so fucking over now. Rufus R. Jones was over, so was Bugsy. So you got a good eight, eight and a half minute match there uh, with, with two killer heels against two baby faces. Yeah. And you got Paul Jones out there, so you got your company, got a couple company people out there, okay? Yeah. So I think that's good. Um, the same thing with the next tag match. I'm not so sure why you did tags back to back, but again, this territory, as we mentioned, um, had went through a time period of, you know, they were known for tag teams in the fifties and sixties. They went to some singles wrestlers in the seventies. And then by the eighties, they're back to tag teams and singles and, and having a full production. So I think you're, 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 you got some, just a couple good tag matches, getting all your, your crew in there. Once again, you know, your Johnny Weavers, uh, your, your Sullivan, your, your Gary Hart, your thinkers, you know what I'm saying? You get them guys, in there don't have to worry too much about it because they know what they're doing they're not working the main event on this particular event they know where their their place is per se you got there fabian and you like just kind of keep the people's interest this thing is going to be wild folks and so they tell them you know hey you got four and a half five minutes get out there do your thing you don't have to tell anything you know we booked you do what you do they'd worked enough in puerto rico and probably several other places through the carolinas whenever they did brought you bring them in you know yeah um, because what i'm looking at is a next tag match see you're going right to something that could be very technical and a fight because you got bob Wharton jr and dick slater 
one hell of a tag team, two yep. great technical wrestlers, uh, and Slater being tough as fucking nails versus uh, 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 Mark Youngblood and Wahoo, one of the biggest stars there. And that's another tag that's going to take it up again away from the fight that you just now saw. Now you're going to see some technical, uh, two good heels against two good baby faces. Um, and, it's just, and it goes 14 minutes and 48 seconds, so roughly 15 minutes there. Um, I think you're just taking that. I think as a promoter, as the booker, and Lord knows I can't think like these guys, but, man, you're taking them up and you're bringing them down. You're taking them up. And you're putting them on that roller coaster ride of, hey, I bought a ticket. Uh, you know, hey, uh, what is it? The um, uh, 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 fucking Hunter S. Thompson, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, you bought the ticket, take the ride. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so they're taking these people on a ride, whether you watched it there at the uh, Greensboro Coliseum or whether you, you know, uh, were somewhere at a closed circuit TV at the Civic Center or, like you said, the corner bar or what have you. So that's my thinking on it because I would imagine that Orton Jr., they just put on a fucking clinic as far as technical, but also cheating. And against these, uh, uh, I don't know how else to say it, because at this time that's what they're doing, Native American Indian type gimmicks. Yeah. And Wahoo was a Native American such over as a baby face, you know, and he's in there and you know he's going to fight and he can fight with Slater and he can fight with Fort. If, if anyone in that match, I mean, Orton could fucking shoot, uh, uh, and Slater was the shooter and a tough guy. If anyone could fucking calm down Dickie Slater, it'd be Wahoo be close. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. them guys are in there probably just, let's just fucking put on a, let's go. You know, let's go. Let's put on a clinic, which takes us to the next match. And you're going to see, so now where's it time to go to the roller coaster, Jeremy? Back to that midpoint or lower point, because tell us who you got in this next match. All right. I mean, it kind of comes back down a little bit, see? You yeah. see what I'm saying? Match five was Match five was Charlie Brown, I assume from out of town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> versus the great Kabuki with Gary Hart. Yes. And, and I that's a title versus mask match for the NWA television title. Yes. Um, I don't know who fucking Charlie Brown was. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I've never been able to figure it out. Um I, I heard it might have been Dusty Rhodes, but I don't I don't know. <laughs> um, but at the gimmick there, yeah. So I'm, I'm su- another match. Now you got this. Match. Well, I'm surprised this one actually. I I I don't imagine this went to a clean finish. <laughs> I'm surprised you actually have yeah. a winner in this. You know. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So Kabuki, you know, obviously spectacle. Uh, Gary Hart, yeah. I'm assuming, pissed off the crowd. And they teased, uh, they teased unmasking Charlie Brown from out of town. And then he got the win and yep. the NWA title, the NWA TV title, I'm guessing. Yep. I would imagine so. And I think that's what it, I was going to say. I don't know why they put this up on these performers that high on the card, but see, with it being a NWA television title, I see exactly why they done it. And I think at this point they did a, you know, 10 and a half minutes or what have you. Mm-hmm. So by the time you're going, you got your ring music and then you got your finish. And at that point, I imagine, um, right there's a perfect time for them to take a quick intermission just before your semi main event. Not a big long one because you're, you're, you're on time. You're on that, you're on that, you know, closed yeah. circuit, but just enough time to let the crowd ease down just a little bit. Go get you a soda pop, go get you a beer, get you a popcorn, whatever. Real quick one right there. Because of what's going to be the main event, what they're going to be doing there. But this one here, you 
getting ready for Piper and 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 the dog collar match. So the anticipation's there because no one knows what's going to happen. And that's I, I gave it away, but it's Piper and Valentine, and they're going to go in there after the chain. They're going to sell that gimmick and get it over and all that. So I think they probably gave the fans. I could be wrong. Could be after the next match, but I think you put a brief intermission right there, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, because uh, I anyway, don't. I don't think you're going to want to lose the mood after the dog collar match, right? You're right. Going to want, yeah, you want to ride that high. Yes. Um, and what comes next, you know, like Bobby's already said, it's the Piper Valentine dog collar match, but it's one of the most brutal matches I'd say in wrestling history. Um, you know, I mean, just not, not, you know, if you want to talk like XPW and shit, like, you know, garbage, out and out garbage wrestling, but just in a normal ring in an NWA show, this is one of the most brutal matches of all time with two guys who could really turn it on. And you got Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine just pelting each other with chain shots and everything else that you can imagine. Bloody as hell. 16 minutes and eight seconds. I'm tired just reading that. You know? And you know, my thinking on this was this. We've talked about this before, this match. Um, these guys, they definitely went out as brutal. I know Piper talked about his ear being messed up for years afterwards. But just within a couple of years after this match, it showed what big stars they are. They both were in a WWF on a fucking a WrestleMania show just two years later. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, and, be, and continue their stardom. Uh, even though they had been, and, and Greg Hammer Valentine was so fucking over in the Carolinas at one time, you know, him and Flair were tag team yes. champions and this and that. But Piper, you know, just, uh, was just learning, uh, from, from the stuff you sent from San Francisco. He's only a couple years removed from that. And here he is on this match, you know, it just shows what kind of talent and how hard these guys worked to improve their spot on the shows and also their, their ring work improved, you know, that much that people wanted to see these guys, you know, and then, like I said, they're just, you're only a couple of years removed and see them when you need a, on a, even, even a bigger stage, if you will. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that dog collar matches. Uh, I don't think we have to tell our audience, but this is what I'll tell our audience. Um, if you have anyone in your family or friends or, or associates that haven't seen this match, tell them to go see it because I'm pretty sure 99% of our audience has seen this match, uh, if not once, you know, probably five times, you know. Um, and they could probably tell us more in detail what took place than what you and I are talking about. But, but you can hear the excitement our boys just talking about it, man. Yeah. So um, anyway, do that. Tell a friend. You're doing them a favor. If they love professional wrestling, you're doing them a favor. But I imagine if they love professional wrestling, they've probably seen it too. So I don't know. Let's go to the next match. You're number seven on the card. Um, we go back down to um, uh, a tag match. And as you can see, there's a there's a trend there's a, there's a trend here and again I mentioned it this this um, territory the, the JCP at one time you know they built that on on tag teams yes. you know and they again in the 70s when they brought in Sandy Scott or excuse me uh, I correct myself I knew how to say that because I know Sandy or knew Sandy uh, George Scott of the Flying Scott brothers uh, uh, when he came in they started using some more uh, singles wrestlers making stars of your Ric Flair's and your uh, uh, Wahoo's and things like that, your, your Valentine's, et cetera. So um, now we're back to a, a, this big worldly event on this closed circuit TV and they've incorporated, you know, 
uh, doubles matches or tag matches, if you will. And then they had that big single match right there with Piper and Valentine we just talked about. And before we get to our main event, see, your semi, and we're right back to a tag team match. And this is one of the few that I've seen. Uh, this is when I was talking with you and I was speaking about a couple of weeks ago. I, I said my brother and I was talking about it. And this one here has got Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood against Jack and Jerry Briscoe for the NWA Tag Team Championships. Uh, championship titles with Angelo Mosca as a special guest referee. They go 13 minutes and 24 seconds. So again, right back to that tag team match, knowing that you came out of a hot singles match with that dog collar match. You got to follow up with a tag match because you know, you got your main event coming up, you know? Yeah. Uh, so if you want to elaborate on this match here or skim over to whatever, before we get to our main event at Starcade, hell, we should name this program Scarcade today. <laughs> well, almost, you know, almost. Um, almost, but yeah. you know, we've got a couple more, but anyway. Well, I mean, that's just, I mean, just look at those four names. That's fucking more yeah. talent in a ring than you yeah. see in an entire show these days. Um, yeah. You know, I just these are guys who can go. I mean, Ricky Steamboat, you know, they often credit his match with Macho Man as being the first modern wrestling match, and he was just, you know, fucking smooth as shit in the ring, you know? Yeah. Jay Youngblood, I don't probably pay as much attention to as I should, and then the Briscoes, fuck, they're the Briscoes. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, I mean, just champions. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking back in this day, and I'm trying to remember watching, you know, TBS, and I think you did look at, I mean, you know, there's the NWA title, and that's the big one. That's when you're like, oh, shit, you know, that guy's champ. I'd say next day on the rung, you probably looked at the tag team champs that way, maybe a little less. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, this was a big deal. And like you were saying, they did build this. These territories were built on tag team matches at one time. In the 50s and 60s, it was totally usual to see entire cards that were nothing but tag matches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you said, and then in the 70s, that breaks up a little bit. And then in the 80s, that you get into a mix, and you can see that on this card. Singles match, tag match, singles match, tag yeah. match. Yeah. Um, I had my notes there. Um, of course, we already saw the assassins up there as tag match. You had the Flying Scott brothers that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. You had uh, uh, the Bolos. um and I'm missing someone else. There's another heel team, uh, like the Mongolians or something like that. But, um, but anyway, in the seventies, of course, like you said, when, when, um, when, uh, uh, George was booking it, they had already, they, they, I had asterisks here on my hand notes that Piper, Steamboat and Flair, they had them picked out. They're going to be, you know, single stars. They, they already knew that, you know, especially when Flair came from that, um, uh, plane crash, I'm trying to get ahead of myself, but yeah. uh, I guess Wahoo, you know, Wahoo had had sent word to bring his kid from Minneapolis in there. Um, and I won't go too far into that other than the fact I'm just going to state it that, like you said, 50s and 60s tag team matches, singles, uh, 70s up to the 80s and back to the 80s. Uh, by the time we got there, excuse me, um, you're you're talking, you know, we got that whole mix, just like you said, which is going to take us to our main event, man. Uh, speaking yeah. of, of of, like I said, who is going to make the stars, and that is uh, it was called a um, Starcade, a flare for the, the flare for the gold, and your main event right here, man. Look at this, Rick Flair against Harley Race in a steel cage for the NWA Heavyweight Championship with Gene Kaniski, another former. I think he was champion in '68 or I think it's '69. I know he's right before Dory, if I'm not mistaken, and I may be, but um, um, 
He's a special guest referee. They go almost 25 minutes. They go 23 and a half minute, 23.49 on the card. Of course, Flair wins the championship, right? Yep. He defeats Harley Race. Um, Harley was the champ heading into the race, uh, heading into the match, rather. And so there again, I think you're just taking these people. They, they knew the time. They had to go, go, go. So that's why I said I think up here where I said they probably put just a brief intermission um, uh, before your main, uh, that semi-main was just to kind of get let the people, you know, settle back in, come back out because they had to set that cage up. So he knew they had a bigger um, intermission, probably like five or ten, probably ten versus five or maybe even fifteen minutes to give the guys time. Say fifteen minutes to give the guys again. They got to put the cage up and they have people in place for doing that. But also, so the fans, you got one last chance to hit the gimmick table, get the beer get the soda pop, get your popcorn or whatever, because this is the main event. And it's going to take, like I said, at least 10 minutes, probably 15 to put that cage up at that time. Uh, it, it may be longer, but bottom line is they're selling that merchandise too, you know, um, and the fan anticipation of that after seeing all this other shit, you see these other seven matches, um, whether, like you said, whether you're at the arena um, or the Coliseum in Greensboro at the arena in your area or an armory or the bar or wherever it's playing on a, on a closed circuit, whatever venue sold it in your area at that time. So uh, it's just incredible, man. That I, We didn't go. We had no plans, honestly, going that long on, on Starcade. I don't recall. But no. Uh, but, no, we had a good time with that, man, um, because I know we have several other things we'd wanted to talk about Um and we talked about just coming out of this, Jeremy. Uh, I don't even know what the time is. Uh, I'm looking, and, and I know we're we're probably <laughs> going quite a bit over because you, like you said, it might be drinking drinking out of a fountain today or, or what have you. You're talking. We've just got so much. What do you want to do? Tell me. Well, right, let's. We do you know now. what? Let's just kind of let's kind of let's kind of get through what we got here. We'll try to. <clears throat> okay, so I do want to hit this real quick. We will notice that not too long after this, um, the NW, not the NWA, Jim Crockett swaps out the uh, 10 pounds of gold for the big gold belt, which okay. is worth noting because it does not have the NWA logo on it. Now, I recently came across a story where somebody else had it made, they weren't going to use it, and then they bought it for themselves, and then Jim Crockett saw it and wanted it and bought it. I don't know what the actual story is. They got a, a rodeo belt maker out of Reno to make it. I have heard that originally it was supposed to have the NWA logo, and it was next, but I've now read a few things that make me think maybe I haven't seen the true story. But okay. at a point now, we're looking at Jim Crockett, who's kind of basically owning the NWA as a name. But he's also kind of disassociating certain things from the NWA as well. He's got a complete lock on Ric Flair as a world champion. He only goes, Flair only goes where Jim Crockett tells him to. And if that means he stays in Jim Crockett's area, who are you to argue with the president of the NWA? You know, um, but we got some other shows to talk about the Crockett Cup. So the uh, Jim, yeah. Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup was a tag team single elimination tournament held in 1986, 1987, and 1988. Yeah. It had a... And I remember that first one so well. Um, I think I mentioned it before. I was teaching school back then. Mm -hmm. um, I was dying to be a professional wrestler. I was training hard and stuff. And a lot of and this was middle school and, and a lot of kids. And, and I was pretty well known in this area. I'd, I'd just been out of school a few years at that point. And... and, and uh, 
you know, listed at the, uh, you know, uh, a private gym as well as a, a, a YMCA facility and a, a fitness world and things like that. But so kids knew. So I had a bunch of seventh and eighth graders that knew, um, you know, Mr. Smedley, he's a wrestling fan, you know, yeah. and I never will forget when they was doing that Crockett cup, we were all keeping track. You know, when I get back to school that Monday, cause I was 22, 23 years old, however old I was at that time. And these kids are, you know, uh, 12 through probably 15, not had a couple 15 year olds, but you know, teenage kids that, yeah. that were like, and then I had some other kids from the high school that, you know, that I've known I had brothers and sisters and stuff. And like, man, they, we were so pumped, you know, and I just remember because when I got to school that Monday, because everyone was cheering for the fucking road warriors, you know, yep. and that's pretty cool when you got, and I wasn't the only one, was a couple other teachers that were fans as well, but they, they was the ones they knew I like wanted to be a wrestler, you know, and I lived not too far from the school, small community. Uh, but anyway, it's like when I got there, man, it's like every, every, in between every period, someone would stop by my computer lab and was like, Mr. Smelly, did you sit like, yeah, man, the road warriors, you know? And then I worked at the YMCA, like I said, and then I'd come by there in the evening and like everyone come by the weight room, like, Mr. Smelly, did you see? Or some of the kids that I love call me Bob, you know, like, hey, man, did you see, you know, uh, like absolutely, man. That's why I remember that one so well because myself and a couple of buddies, you know, we were following hard then, but also those kids, man, just the excitement of those teenagers that were, you know, your diehard wrestling fans at that time. And honestly, it's probably the people, Jeremy, it's your age right now. I think there's 10 years difference between us, you know, mm-hmm. and we've talked about that. So it'd be like you knowing um, that the guy that runs the, the second floor computer lab is a wrestling fan. And he also, he digs skateboarding. You know, he don't mind if we skate after school, you know, some of those type things. Yeah, yeah. But he's obviously not that much older than us even though he is older than us, um, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, so you'd be coming by my class going, hey, hey Bob or Mr. Smedley, you know, and, and we'd be talking wrestling, you know, a uh, couple of the students. I knew their brothers or sister. I knew one in particular uh, uh, sister, a good friend of my brother, and we was Doors fans. And this kid just comes up to me in the hall one day and he goes, hey, uh, I hear you like the Doors. And it's like this little 12-year-old geeky kid like Adam Goldberg or something off the Goldberg, you know. Yeah. But he just said, and his name was David, the great guy, he's a college professor now, actually. He's like, hey, I understand you like the doors. And it just cracked me up the way he said it. Like, yeah, how'd you know? And he, he told me who his older sister and older brother were, you know. But shit like that. So back to the Road Warriors. They won it in 86, man, Hawk and Animal. Yep. 87, a superpower of Nikita Koloff and Dusty Rhodes together. And in 88 was Sting and Lex Luger. And I remember all those, actually. Um, but that first one, kind of like popping your cherry, if you will, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the Road Warriors over as fuck. I mean, it just, <laughs> yeah. you don't, you don't get on. more over than that. Unless maybe you're well, the newly... still the pop, right? That's the pop. Yeah. I was going to say, unless maybe you're the tag team of Nikita Koloff and Dusty Rhodes. Because you remember that, um, that War Games and... When they hadn't announced that Nikita Koloff was filling in for Magnum, yeah, yeah, I know we talked about that before. Yeah, and then they uh, they the come, match, yeah, and they game. come out yeah. and it's the Road Warriors and Dusty and then Nikita Koloff at the back, and the fucking place just goes crazy. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, right. And yeah. then, uh, and right of course, in 1988, Sting and Lex Luger were probably the two of the biggest stars in pro wrestling in the South, at least. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, just again, let's just maybe brief over. Got excited again, folks. We're having a good time today. Yep. Uh, real quickly, just so you know, uh, follow Jeremy at the Geek is Cast on Twitter. Follow me at Bobby Blaze 
44 on Twitter or hit up the joint account at Bell to Bell Blaze on Twitter. Now, Jeremy has access to the DMs. If it's something really important, he lets me know. We had something this past week that he let me know about, and I appreciate that because that's professional courtesy. We shared each other. But he also knows that, you know, I just don't want to be dealing with that. I will deal with it directly through mine. Um, and, and that's just the way we've always ran it because he, he, he can, he can handle two accounts. I can at this point. Jeremy also has a, um, a Facebook page over there at Bell to Bell Blaze too. Again, I don't have anything to do with it. It's not become trying to be an asshole people, nothing like that. I just have to limit. Uh, I know trigger points in my life personally, and I have to limit my social media. And I just chose, right or wrong, I just chose to stick with Twitter, and that's the only thing I, I basically use. Um, and that, that may be proved wrong here soon. I don't know. I'm just saying that's that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. But we want your feedback on these shows, man. You know, uh, we've got some upcoming shows we've talked about involving some of our fans, actually. Um, I'm not going to mention who and what and all that right now, but um, – We've got some pretty good stuff planned in the future, uh, getting um, uh, some other territories in. Yeah. Hey, brother, how are you? Yeah. So, anyway, just throwing it out there. So, next is uh, Class of Champions. We'll just kind of throw it out there. Um, the first Class of Champions was held on March 27th, 1988 by uh, Jim Crockett Promotions. Um, that was – they ran that free on a Sunday. Is that correct, Jeremy, if I'm uh, not mistaken? Yeah, it was a counter-programmed – the counter-programmed – a pay-per-view, I'm trying to it, think. right? Yes, they counter. I know it was on a Sunday, and I know they counter-programmed a pay-per-view, and I'm drawing a blank, to be honest with you. But I know my buddy, again, look at the time. Uh, I'm still uh, – I've just not even had my first match yet. I had my first match in September of 88. I was going to start training some there in, in, in uh, that summer uh, before I – locally, before I went to Malenko's or anything. But that was a um, – I'm not sure what that um, – but I know my buddy, we went to the gym, lifted weights, uh, probably went and got some McDonald's or some pizza or something, and then we come back home and watch that very first class of champions in my apartment. Uh, like I said, I had an apartment not too far from the school there, and, and um, uh, we watched that. But I'm not sure what the pay-per-view was at that point. It was WrestleMania Jeremy, 4. I want to say, I knew Jeremy is probably trying to look it up. Thank you, Professor. Yeah. And that's why you are the professor. Um, but I, I, I really remember that being free on TBS, and we was all excited about it. And let me ask you this. Does it state it was a Saturday or a Sunday? Because I want to say it was a Sunday evening. I want to say it was a Sunday as well, but okay. I don't know if that's just me remembering everything being yeah, on a Sunday. Yeah. See, um, I'm thinking this may have been prior to everything being on a Sunday, and it may have been a Saturday night. That's just a, a wild hair. But see, you have your Saturday night show already, so I don't know that you, you – you up at any by making it a clash of champions other than they are running a WrestleMania. But I'm thinking that's probably a Sunday. Yeah. WrestleMania is, it seems like probably a Sunday. And if that's WrestleMania four, that's probably a Sunday. Any rain men out there, the rain man that can say, yeah, March 27th, 1980, that was on a Sunday and it was a rainy at day or cloudy or whatever, you know? Um, anyway, after that, we got some great American Bashes, we're just kind of scam over those if you want, Professor, because we're running out of time, big time, man. We're just we're having such a good time uh, with, with this JCP. We knew we would, but um, let's just talk real briefly. You want to say anything about these Great American Bashes? Other than, like I said, I think that's where um, uh, we saw Merle Haggard early, but what's his name, uh, David Allen Cole, that you ripped his ass for saying he knew. I think he he did a couple of these at one of the bashes, as did Waylon Jennings. He done um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he went on tour for like ten of those days. 
Grammys at one time. I'm not sure which year which year each one done, but I, I know they done some con- country music in conjunction with the uh, with the Great American Bashes, and uh, they did like you know Baltimore and and some of their hotter towns at that point. Yeah, I, I was through Baltimore out there because I I, I know they did Baltimore. Uh, by that time, they was opening up up in the East Coast a little bit. Baltimore and Philly was always strongholds at this point for them as far as your East went. Um, along with your Carolinas and your Virginia, you know, all those towns. So um, anyway, anything about the Great American Bashes? Because, well, folks, we just can't get in this all <laughs> over and over and over, getting all excited about every damn <laughs> thing. Or we're not going to be able to finish this program. Today. Yeah, well, you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to throw – I'm just going to throw a couple things out there because Bobby, it sounds like you're starting to break up a little bit, so we'll need to start wrapping up here. But Great yeah, American, I'm here the same thing with mine, to be honest. yeah, Great American Bash was basically the WrestleMania of Jim Crocker Promotions. Um, a lot of great matches there. Recently, the WWE has started doing an NXT Great American Bash. Um, let's go ahead. We'll talk about the last couple notes we got here. Uh, let's talk about the Flare plane crash. Uh, real quickly, October 4th, 1975, this was the same year that uh, Buddy Colt and Bobby Shane's uh, Austin Idol and Gary Hart had their plane wreck. Uh, these guys had one as well. Ric Flair's back was broken. Uh, Johnny Valentine's back was broken. Um, the pilot died like a couple months later. David Crockett was smashed open. Um, it was a nasty, it was a nasty, nasty thing. And if you go and watch Flair take bumps after 1975, you'll notice he always lands on the side. And it's because of his back. Um, Jack, I'm breaking up and cracking on this frame. Yeah, we're, we're all busted up here. I was going to say that. Let's wrap it up here. What I was going to do, I was going to surprise you, but there's going to be no surprises. Um, I was hoping we'd get into like say if you was talking about the Clash or talking about Great American Bash or even uh, the Crockett Cup, what I was going to do, uh, but I don't have to uh, now. I, I'll just use that segue. I was going to say, Jeremy, no, stop, stop. We got a free bird rule, man, and that is woo. The main thing about JCP is this: it's Ric Flair country. Yeah. And next week's program is going to be all about the Nature Boy Ric Flair. So that's a good way to stop when he was talking about him in the plane crash. In 1975 and coming back in 1976. So let's end our program there. I don't even know how much time we talk, but um, you everything closed out with, and I'll close out and whatever, man. All right. Um, and I'm sorry about the internet. That's on my end. I can hear it. Yep. Okay. Well, yeah. That being said, let's go ahead and wrap up because you're really falling apart. Uh, so I'll just go ahead and yep. do the wrap up. Uh, you know, for the late Tex Johnson, myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and the star of the show, Bobby Blaze. Bye, bye, everybody. <laughs>